Hello and welcome back to the EV Life Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Maharaj, and I'm joined by Allison Bench, the producer of the EV Life Podcast. And today, who are we talking to? Who do I talk to today (laughs) on the podcast? Yeah, we have a great guest today. So we're talking to Stephen Wong. He's a professor at the University of Alberta, and he is in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. And so we chat to him about some uh, very interesting research that he's kind of in the midst of doing. So he is specializes a lot in civil and environmental engineering, as I said. And so one of the things that he's um, kind of looking into right now is how electric vehicles can be utilized during disaster mitigation. Yeah. So this is a topic that we haven't covered before on the podcast. And it was really interesting because they look at both the pros and cons to how electric vehicles can be used in major disasters. It was really insightful because when I first heard, uh, you know, disasters, I think of evacuation, like how are we getting people out? But there are, of course, so much more to consider in an evacuation. For example, power. How are you keeping your medical supplies refrigerated if the power goes out? There's so many other aspects to disasters um, and they kind of look at all of it and how EVs might play a role in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so, because I think through EV life, we've really learned that all these questions that everybody has about electric vehicles, there's always somebody out there <laughs> planning for it and right. researching for it. And so some of the work that Stephen is doing is is going to be really important as more and more people adopt electric vehicles. Yeah. Because he, you know, and we'll, we won't get too into it because he Obviously, we'll explain it better, but he does talk about grid capacity and how that's impacted in a disaster. So how about we just dive right into that interview? So again, this is my conversation with Dr. Stephen Wong from the University of Alberta. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me on the EV Life podcast. Thank you for having me. Are you able to share with our audience just a little bit about your background and the research that you do at the University of Alberta? Of course. My name is Stephen Wong. I'm an assistant professor in civil and environmental engineering at the University of Alberta. And I'm also the leader of the Resilient and Sustainable Mobility and Evacuation Group, also known as Resume. So my field of study is mostly surrounding transportation engineering, and I'm particularly interested in how people make different transportation decisions. Part of this leads to questions about how people make decisions in disasters and what this particularly means from transportation systems as well as evacuation planning. So, for example, I'm really interested in the impact of natural disasters and how it affects communities, but also what transportation decisions arise from these events and how we can actually statistically model this behavior. Mm -hmm. And from this behavior, we're able to develop policies and strategies to better address some of these different types of issues that come up in evacuations. I also do work in research related to the design, placement, and operations of resilience hubs, particularly for the city of Edmonton. We have a grant with the city of Edmonton on that. Our resilience hubs are places that can be operational during disasters, but also functional during normal everyday events to enhance community activity and community resilience. And so we're interested in understanding where we put these places in order to best meet the needs of communities. And I think my last area of research that I focus in on is just multimodality within 
not just evacuations, but also sustainable transportation. How we can leverage public transit and micromobility, as well as active transportation in ensuring that all people have different types of modes of transportation available to them regardless of the situation, whether it be normal conditions or whether it be disasters. Mm -hmm. Speaking of modes of transportation, as you kind of mentioned, a lot of your research focuses on equitable evacuation planning in disasters as it pertains to transportation. So do you think that electric vehicles have a role to play in large emergency evacuations? That's a great question. Electric vehicle sales are on the rise right now. Uh, in 2021, there was about 86,000 EVs that were registered in Canada, which is about 5% of vehicle sales. So small for now, but it's expected to rise because of improved battery ranges, different types of incentives, improved supply and available options of EVs. And so our research is really looking into the future where there's a relatively high mix of these EVs comparatively to internal combustion engine vehicles. Mm -hmm. And we've determined that EVs can be either a source of evacuation equity or also a barrier to evacuation equity, depending on the situation. Right. So on the source, EVs can be used beyond transportation capabilities of moving someone from place to place. So an example of that might be that owners can use their EVs to charge their electronics or they could be used to power critical home systems such as heating or cooling or even medical devices. So that's a case where if we utilize the, the power effectively, we are able to leverage it for equitable outcomes for different groups of people who might need power for survival. On the other hand, there might be challenges because EVs are currently quite expensive to buy and are only concentrated with people who already have access to transportation resources, as well as other types of resources in disasters. Mm -hmm. So if people don't necessarily behave in an altruistic way, then EVs will just be used for in their own individual use, and we won't see equity benefits arise from that. And so there's kind of a both sides when it comes to the equi for equitable outcomes. So right. they could go either way. And so it's our job to hopefully guide a more equitable outcome for these EVs so they don't pull too much power from the system or from the from the grid, uh, as well as uh, making sure that they are available to all people in the event of a disaster. When you're looking at EVs, like as the role that they might play in disasters, you say it, it can go either way. It can be a positive and a negative. It's one of the concerns around for example, if there's a wildfire and people need to evacuate um, quickly. And a lot of these people maybe have EVs. Um, are there concerns around how, if they're not fully charged up, that we're going to run into issues there? Because I know that comes up with ICE vehicles when people are in disasters and they have to quickly get out of town and they don't have gas. And, you know, emergency vehicles will come around with gas to sort of like top you up so you can get out. Um, are there similar concerns when it comes to EVs? Yeah, there there are similar concerns when it comes to EVs, mostly because we're we still need a fuel source of some some type. And you brought up a good point related to gasoline vehicles that we still need to fuel them in some way. Fuel has to come from somewhere, gas has to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. In terms of power power outages, we actually have an issue where you might not actually be able to pump gas. And so if there is a power outage, then you not only can't pump gas, but you also can't charge your EV. So we're kind of in a 
a double, double. problem there <laughs> yeah. where, where both fuel sources are unavailable. But we also have to remember that for a lot of types of disasters, we have to truck fuel from point to point. And as you mentioned, having mobile sources for, for fuel. The same thing would probably have to happen for electric vehicles. We're just swapping a fuel source for another. The one unique part, though, about electric vehicles is that they have an opportunity to assist in charging other things and perhaps even giving uh, electricity back to the grid for certain reasons and for certain sources. And as I mentioned, you could charge electronics, you could Mm -hmm. charge uh, medical equipment, it could be used for refrigeration. Let's say someone needs to have medicine that is refrigerated, then you might be able to have a refrigerator still going using the electric vehicle where it's a lot where it's a lot harder to do that with an, an internal combustion engine vehicle. So there is definitely the concern of of not having enough charge. And so our goal in this research is to determine, well, what actions are people intending to do and how can we guide those actions and educate some of those actions in such a way that can actually produce benefits, not just to the grid, but also to individual preparedness. So it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a holistic way of thinking about it rather than, oh, I ran out of fuel and I can't get from point A to point B. Let's think more holistically about the, both the challenge and the solution. That's interesting. And your research is ongoing. Can you share some details on some of that upcoming research that you have planned regarding EVs and how, how you're going to test these hypotheses that you have? Yeah, our research is mostly surrounding people's behavior. As I mentioned, I'm really interested in how people behave. And so what we did is we sent a survey out to about 1,500 people in Alberta and British Columbia, where we asked them in a scenario if they had access to an electric vehicle with a range of 400 kilometers, what would they do? So one of the key scenarios that we ask them is assuming that your vehicle does not have enough charge to reach your potential evacuation destination, what will you do? And so we gave this to participants and they had a few options. They could either charge their vehicle at home to full battery. They could travel to the closest charging station. They could travel to the closest charging station that will take the least amount of time to charge the vehicle, or they might not even charge at all. And so we're just interested in seeing what this behavior looks like across different types of scenarios. And from this, we're able to better understand behavior and use statistical models to determine what influences this behavior. I was just going to ask how these people were chosen for the survey. So the survey participants were chosen from a random panel data set. We worked with a data service company that was able to identify folks in Alberta and British Columbia to try to get us the most general population as possible so that it's representative of both provinces. So we're interested in understanding people's behavior using these statistical models and Once we identify different risk perceptions or demographic variables that might influence this, we can start to build these statistical models. And from the last step of this research is we use these statistical models to integrate it into something called we call an agent-based model, where agents are largely vehicles that go throughout some type of simulation. We can run the simulation with different strategies or different problems that might crop up. And it's a way to simulate the real world without having to actually have a scenario happen and for us to gather data during it. And so we can look to see how power demand is changing, if people are able to evacuate, and what issues and benefits might arise with, for example, changing EV ownership rates. So Mm -hmm. if we see a rapid increase in EV ownership across Alberta, 
what will that do to the grid in the event of a disaster? Will we have to make certain infrastructure changes in order to deal with that additional load? Will we have to enact smart charging or other operational strategies? What type of education or resources do we have to give to EV owners in order to find electricity during a disaster or perhaps helping them through evacuation planning? And this is all going towards that preparedness and planning and resilience standpoint and how we can improve our communities. I'm sure you're well aware that a lot of people are concerned about the grid capacity um, as it pertains to mass adoption of EVs. And so just knowing that this research is being done, I'm sure is going to be really useful for a lot of people who have those concerns. And when do you plan on wrapping up the research? When will we have the results of this? So the research is being funded by Future Energy Systems, which is a large collaborative at the University of Alberta. And it's a multi-project, quite a, quite a large initiative. And we're expecting to wrap up our specific project in about two years from now. Okay. We are starting to bring out our publications and starting to get that out to, uh, in terms of our open access to the public, as well as to potential uh, individuals and partners who might utilize this information. And so it'll take about two years to wrap up, but we're in the middle. We have already collected the survey data, which is exciting. And any of the survey or any of the results from the research will be open access and available. Do you have any other research planned regarding electric vehicles? So we don't have any other electric vehicle research planned currently, but we actually just wrapped up a really exciting project that our Resume group did in collaboration with UC Berkeley. And it is published and it is open access, so the public is able to go and see it. And our focus in on that study was how we could leverage smart charging for electric vehicles. Smart charging is a mechanism in order to shift automatically shift charging of electric vehicles from peak hours to off-peak hours. The reason why this is really important is that oftentimes we charge our electric vehicles at the same time as as there's really high peak demand on the power grid. In particular, during that, when everyone comes home, it's about 5 p.m., 5 p.m. to about 10 p.m. when everyone's at home is often the peak power demand on the grid. With electric vehicles, we now have an issue where we have a even more peak demand. And so our goal is to shift some of that to other periods of time. And so our research was looking into how, what different types of incentives people could be given in order to, sh- to participate in these types of programs. Because in the end, utilities can benefit from this because they don't have to have costly infrastructure upgrades, but also owners can also benefit because they can reduce the cost of electricity at lower rate times, for example. And so this research was uh, really interesting. We found these different attitudes and perceptions and demographic characteristics that influence participation and different incentive levels. And so this can be really helpful in tailoring these types of programs, especially, for example, in uh, different types of geographies or groups of people and to what is most effective for saving utilities and owners money. So for our listeners who are curious to, um, you know, read this research paper themselves, where would they, where would be the best place for them to find it? So the best place to find it is via my website. We have open access research for not just this study, but all of our other work in disasters, resilience, and evacuations. And so that, I believe, will be provided in notes for this episode. 
Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking with us. This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful to be able to share the research. And uh, thank you again for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Stephen Wong. If you would like to share your thoughts on this episode or any of the episodes that we've aired, please feel free to connect with myself and Allison on the EV Life group on the AMA mobile app. We're happy to chat with you or answer your questions. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.